Hello and welcome to United States of Soccer, the number one soccer podcast. Uh, covering everything from Premier League, Major League Soccer, and United Soccer League. Today is a beautiful Thursday, April 13th, 2023. Gorgeous outside. And today we have the first of what will hopefully be many of a new segment that we are doing here at United States of Soccer. It is going to be called Beyond the Pitch. Uh, And so before we dive right into that, some introductions are necessary. I am Brian Mitchell. I am a Liverpool and a Nashville SC fan for some reason. Uh, with me, as always, the face of this beautiful audio podcast, <laughs> my co-host, Michael Willis. He is a Chelsea, a Detroit City FC fan, and a St. Louis City fan. Michael. What's up, dude? How you doing? I'm good, dude. How you doing? I'm wonderful, dude. Tastes great. Yeah. And as always, rounding out the three-man group, the most important part, the podcast literally would not happen without him. Oh, yeah. He is always painting and producing. Oh, painting yeah. and producing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Best painter on the East Coast. He is producer Alex. Hello. Alex, what's up, dude? How are you guys doing today? Dude, I'm so good. Good. Never been better. Good. Uh, and then today we have our very first guest uh, on Beyond the Pitch. So Beyond the Pitch, just so you guys know what we're kind of looking to do here, this will be a new segment that we're trying to probably put out around once a month. Or so we're going to bring on uh, a guest, so a new friend or an old friend or something like that. Um, get to know them, their story, uh, just who they are, and just kind of see how soccer intertwines in their life, um, you know, and, and what role it plays in their life, and just get to know people and create new friends here. So with us, the very first guest ever for this new segment, Beyond the Pitch, we have all the way from Capstone ISG, shout out Capstone, what up George Hobbs? I don't think you've ever listened to an episode of this, but you might. Who knows? Henry, maybe you're listening. Uh, anyways, uh, shout out Captain ISG, but all the way, I'm one of my colleagues, former West Ham man, Andrew Wells. What's yeah. good, man? How are we doing, fellas? Good to, good to be on the show. Really looking forward to it. Dude, thanks so much for coming on, man. Oh, not a problem. Really I, appreciate yeah, I'm it. super excited. As soon as uh, you know, obviously met you, you know, what, six months ago now? Maybe a little bit less than that. Um, yeah. yeah. And then found out that you were a Liverpool fan, which was massively disappointing. But yeah, anyway, the fact that you you brought this podcast to my attention, I've been listening to it for you know the past few weeks and absolutely loving it. I, I love what you guys are doing. It's brilliant. Appreciate That's awesome, appreciate dude. That. Seriously, thank you so much for the support. I really appreciate you listening. Uh, yeah, so I I work with Andrew Wells at Capstone ISG. Uh, I met Andrew at the Christmas party back in December uh, at uh, at George's house actually. And um, what's funny is. Uh, first time I met you was, was was that night, and someone had told me that they had like got they had they had an Uber to to George's house, and they were like, they're like, yeah, they're like the Uber driver told me that hey, I just dropped someone off at the house before you, uh, like thick English accent, like really pissed off about the uh, the World Cup result, <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, who is this? I was like, I need to find him. I was like, because I'm a, obviously because obviously I was a big soccer fan, so I was like, and then I found out who it was, and I was like, I'm just gonna ask him. So. I, Came up to Andrew, I was like, man, I was like, tough, you know, the World Cup had happened in November, December for the first time ever, because it was in Qatar, everything like that, for those of you that maybe don't know, but that'd be weird if you didn't know that. Um, And uh, England had just unfortunately got knocked out of it, and so I went to Andrew, and I was like, man, it was a really tough loss for England, was like the first thing I said to him, and he looked at me, and he was like, you know, I don't think I'm ready to talk about that that yet. (laughs) And that's when I knew that this guy was legit, because I was like, I was like, who else would have that type of response? Unless he was like a legit like supporter or anything like that. I was wearing a Liverpool 
uh, sweater, and then he commented on it, and he was like, "Yeah, unfortunately, I saw that," and I was like, "Sweet, this guy's legit." <laughs> um, and we started talking, and he just kind of happened to mention something about West Ham, and that he uh, that he's from England. They used to used to play for West Ham, and I was like, "Dude, that's nuts!" And then about a month later, I think, where I was like, "Man, we're we're starting a podcast." I was like, "Dude, you should come on," and he was uh, more than willing to come on. So we're super stoked to have you on, man. I'm I'm, I'm super pumped, and I I can't tell you how much appreciate you that you. Uh, you know, you text me or email me every week and you're listening. So it's been, it's been huge. So appreciate the support on that. Oh, absolutely. No problem. I, yeah, that was probably not a great night for me. I had to really pull myself together after that defeat. And, you know, it's a, like a work party, a work function. So you got to come in with a smiling face and be cheerful and happy with everyone. I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm just completely pissed off about the whole situation. We could have won. We should have won. We should have won the World Cup. I should be sitting here as a world champion right now, but I'm not. I'm sitting here as a, you know, complete loser, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll move on. You know, it's it's only been since 66 since we last won it but next, <laughs> next one the next one's out one. not not yeah. like anyone's keeping count or anything nope. so yeah that's that's cool that's yeah. cool <laughs> i thought i thought it was coming home dude what was that about it, it will eventually it will. <laughs> maybe not in my lifetime but at some point it will come home i can guarantee it. <laughs> yeah i believe that i was pulling for england too so at that point, so I was, I was a little bummed myself, but I was not as bummed as you were. But yeah, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll dive right in. So, uh, Andrew, I'm going to kind of open the floor up to you a little bit, man. You can uh, you can feel free to kind of expand on your background on anything that you want, or as you know, as much or as little as you want. But I'll just uh, start us off. I know that you are from England yourself, so uh, maybe just let's just let's just start there, man. Like, where exactly? are you from like originally so my family is from a little town called south end on sea which is about 35 miles east of london so if you follow the river thames out of london you will eventually come to a little town called south end or leon sea they're kind of interchangeable they're same little places um yeah so so originally from there um you know family's been there the whole life family's still there apart from my brother my brother actually lives in norwich now and works for norwich city um but yeah, my my one my first true passion in soccer is Southend United, who are in the National League. Um, you know, obviously yeah. playing against Wrexham and you know that whole situation. Now, and I don't know whether you saw the other day that the Wrexham Notts County game was absolutely mental, and you know Ben Foster yeah, coming yeah. back and you know crazy situations going on there. But yes, Southend United. My dad took me there. My dad has been a season ticket holder there forever. So my early kind of formative years of watching soccer were on the uh, terraces. At that point, was you know, standing only, no seats, you know, just standing on the right. terrace with your dad and, you know, maybe six or 7,000 people there and, you know, really enjoying kind of like the the lower leagues of English football, which is, you know, an experience in itself and obviously loves, everyone loves the Premier League and that's what you guys focus on, uh, which is which is great because it is the best league in the world. But, you know, some of those, you know, years standing on the, the terraces, you know, dreaming one day to be playing in this you know, crappy little stadium that holds about 12,000 people was just my ultimate dream when I was a, you know, five, six year old kid. And, you know, luckily I got the chance to do that eventually. But, you know, it's, it's, that's kind of where my, you know, soccer education started, if you like. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I see, I like, I love that. Honestly, I'm, I'm a little like, I'm a little jealous of that, if I'm being honest, because like, here and obviously here in America, we just don't necessarily have that. Like, we don't have it, not like, not like what you, what, what you guys have in England. So it's like, I like. I want. I wish I could have grown up around like the lower leagues, the terraces, like that, and been a part of that. Because I like this goes again. My like, it's my favorite sports. So, like I just, I want to be in from like from the from the top to the bottom and just kind of see the grassroots and coming up. So that's uh, that's really awesome though. So yeah, I mean, I like I, I I envy that story quite a bit. But that's really cool. Uh, Michael, how far away is Norwich City from 
Nor- Norwich, uh, yeah, it was trying to do a geography <laughs> thing, and we're going to be we're going to be failing on that. How uh, it's crazy, right? Because like you know, I got into this is the first year we've gotten to the MLS, and um, I, I was talking to Brian and Alex about this. Like the weird thing for me is that um, you know Charlotte was sucking at the beginning of the year, and the, and every pundit was like feel terrible for Charlotte, and I was like, well, I mean, not really. Nothing really happens. You know what I mean? It's weird coming from you know watching the sport overseas. Uh, and how much of an impact everything is. The first time I ever understood what relegation and promotion was, was that year uh, Newcastle went down. Like, I mean, every year you see people go down. But when Newcastle went down, that was the first time with Benitez and all that. I don't know why, but it like it made me feel – I didn't care less about Rafael Benitez. But <laughs> it, it, it made me it – was, it was weird to watch, you know, all these people go completely mental for this whole thing. And that was the first time I was like, oh, shit, this is really, like, uh, massive over there. But, you know, over here with soccer, it's a bit weirder because, again, you know, Charlotte was doing terrible. Colorado is pretty bad right now. And uh, everyone's crying about it. But I'm like, well, nothing really happens. You know, it doesn't really mean anything. It's still electric, the MLS, this season. But it's 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 a weird uh, it's a weird dynamic that we just don't have, which is pretty awesome over there. Why, do you think uh, – is it still – I mean, I know you're over here in the States. Is it still growing, like those, those lower league – teams and everything like that is that still getting like local support or is everybody following arsenal for some stupid reason uh, think, <laughs> <laughs> well yeah no one should support arsenal let's let's clear that up right from the start that's right that's just a terrible decision and and if you do support arsenal you are making poor life decisions i, 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 I totally I agree to say that. i have to say that um but no i think that it's 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 really interesting dynamic obviously promotion relegation is something i support and you know coming over to american sports i don't really understand you know the whole you know take baseball for example how you can play 162 games and be 30 games into a season and then you know there's really nothing to play for you know it just seems like that's it's just a waste of time it's a waste of everybody's time you go and watch the baltimore orioles for the past you know 15 years and you know game game 29 and you're like oh well they're not going to make the playoffs and they're not going to get relegated so you know let's get drunk and have a good time but that's about it exactly. um, but it's yeah the, the grassroots the, the, the lower league things i mean you just have really passionate people i mean you know you do obviously you know a lot the majority of people you know when i was growing up obviously south end united was my team because that was my dad's team and that was my hometown team we could you know get the bus to the stadium or walk to the stadium and and things like that um, so you are going to have that, um, but then most people have a Premier League team as well, you know. And you guys, and I don't think Brian knows this yet, but my Premier League team as a youngster, youngster, you know, before I started playing with West Ham, was Manchester United. I mean, Eric Cantona mm. was my absolute god and absolute hero, and my first, yeah. you know, kind of recognition of watching soccer on TV was the 1985 FA Cup final when Man United beat Everton. Um, and then I became a Man United fan from there. And obviously that, you know, transitioned to West Ham, you know, once I'd signed there and was going there every week because we were getting free tickets and people trying to kind of make sure that I, you know, was there with them. But I still think there's there's a great following. I mean, you know, South End United now obviously is a national league. When I was watching them play there in the championship and league one, you know, they've fallen, had a, had a fall from grace, so to speak, over the last five years. Uh, and now we're in the National League. But they're still getting five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people to watch some of the bigger games. And then when you look at what's happening at Wrexham, I mean, that can only be good for, you know, lower league soccer in England. I mean, the the, the attention it's getting, obviously, the, you know, the documentary those guys have made, you know, it just brings a really good amount of exposure for all of those lower league teams to kind of go up on. And obviously that's going to work 
in the next league. They're going to go into you know League Three next year by the looks of it, you know, and then uh, oh, sorry League Two next year by the looks of it, and then that's going to bring exposure to League Two, and then they're going to in League One, and you know you'd imagine they'll probably be in a championship, but. You know, so there is still a massive market for those lower league teams. And some of the teams, you'd put someone like Man City, who was down in League One, and they were still getting, you know, 30,000, 40,000 people to games. You know, Sunderland, you know, still kind of getting those kind of crowds. So it's, it really is just that passion. If Arsenal went down, they'd have three men and a dog at their game. But, for sure. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's just how fickle they are. You know, <laughs> Arteta out and all of that, and now he's making them, you know, the greatest team in the world. So, um, but yes, right. no, there's a massive market still for the lower league. It's fantastic. I love it. I, I, I will go to a South End game every time I'm home. I know, won't necessarily go to a West Ham game every time I'm home right now. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's just, it's very interesting to me to like, like kind of understand or dive into the differences just culturally that we have over here as opposed to over there for you and you, and you I mean, you're, you're a, a good example of it. And, you know, I'm sure you can probably see, cause you know, obviously you grew up there. So you, so, you know, so obviously you know that culture and then you've been here now for a little while. And then you have, I think you have a son mm-hmm. now. And so you're raised, so you're raising him over here. So it's like the, the differences culturally. So it's like, you know, does does he automatically fall into like liking soccer over here and following that, or does he fall into like more of like the American culture where it's like, you know, it's got these other big four sports kind of thing? Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, like, how, what, what would you say the differences in and that, and like, you know, how, obviously, it's I, I, too, I think it's the immersion of a culture, right? You know, back home, I didn't really have a choice growing up. You know, I was going to play soccer. My dad played soccer. My brother played soccer. You know, I was always going to play soccer. And, you know, like I said, my dad taking me down to South End every Friday night or a Saturday morning. You know, I was always going to be there. Um, I think, you know, funnily enough, my son, who's uh, four years old, has his first soccer practice tomorrow. Yeah. So he he, is doing it, but I'm very much. You know, I would like to think of myself as a parent who says, "Go and try it. If you don't like it." You know, daddy's going to be okay with it. In reality, will I be okay with it? Probably not. The kid's going to play sport. Right? You know? uh, <laughs> but I also think that, um, you know, we have DC United is fairly close to here. So, you know, there's going to be, there's a chance that, you know, we'll go to some DC United games or maybe get season tickets from DC United. And every time he goes home, um, well, home, I still call England home, which I probably shouldn't, but every time he goes home, we're going to go to games with him and we're going to see those things. And, um, you know, he watches the games with me on a Saturday morning for about 20 minutes and then he kind of, right. it. but he sees, he now sees West Ham's badge on the, you know, the TV or, you know, some magazines and he's like, daddy, that's our team, daddy, that's our team. So he's already kind of in that mode that soccer is, you know, some part of yeah. my life. So it's going to be probably some part of his life and whether he's any good or not. We will wait and see. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah, that's, that's that's really cool to hear. And uh, you know, kind of like you're saying, you know, bringing up West Ham and everything like that. Obviously, um, you know, and we, we we've told some, some of our listeners, but obviously, you know, you are a former West Ham United uh, player. I know that you signed to West Ham, um, but I just kind of want to so ask you about that. You know, when when did you sign for West Ham originally? What what did that look like? Was that a dream? Was that a dream too? Like, was like from South End to West Ham? Was that like something that you wanted to do, or that just come up out of nowhere that West Ham was a thing? Yeah, so very, it's very um, kind of regionalized. When so I first signed with West Ham when I was twelve years old, um, and it, so it's it's pretty regionalized in that those age groups, right? You know, the um, because East London is fairly close to where I lived, 
um, you know, that was the biggest team that would be interested. I also looked at Tottenham um, and uh, Arsenal a little bit and Chelsea. Um, but West Ham was the one that really kind of, you know, wanted me, looked after me, yeah. you know, gave me the opportunity at 12 years old to, to come yeah. over and do that. Um, so basically then you sign what was back in that day, which, you know, I won't give my age away, but that was, you know, back in 92, <laughs> uh, 93, you basically signed a year with West Ham. You'd go up and train twice a week, Tuesday, Thursday nights, um, and then you'd play um, on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, and that was kind of the way it was. And then, you know, when the season ended the next year, they would sign you or wouldn't sign you. Um, so luckily enough, you know, from 12, 13, 14 and 15, um, they kept me on there um, and we would go up and, you know, train with them twice a week. I had no other soccer really teams in that point in my life. That was solely who I was playing for. I had to play some high, high school soccer as well, but that was, it's kind of funny because high school sports is, is a non-event in England. You know, you go there, and, huh. you know, you know, my dad was the only person who ever came to watch us play. Um, so it wasn't like it was a high school sports here where it's a, you, you would think, imagine an American high school soccer team that's filled, you know, soccer's the main sport. You'd have, you know, a good amount of people there, but that's just not sure. the way in England. Um, high school sports huh. are a little bit irrelevant. Um, so, yeah, so West Ham was kind of everything I did for um, those four years, five years. Um, and then it came to 16. Um, and in England, at 16, you can leave high school. Um, so at 16, you leave high school and then it goes to college and then university, which are two separate things. Um, oh, wow, and then okay. the people who are, let's say, not ed not educationally inclined will go off and learn a trade. So you could you know, go off and be an electrician or go off and be a plumber. It just so happened the course that I took was going off and playing professional soccer for West Ham United, um, yeah. which back in those days, it was called a, a youth training scheme and the government actually paid my wage to go and play for West Ham. So you've got oh, these wow. multi-million dollar co companies and corporations, if you like, and the government is still paying for their youth trainees to, to go and work for them. Um, so it's a kind of an interesting dynamic. It doesn't happen that way anymore um, because yeah, of the introduction of the academies and, and things like that. So, um, so yeah, at 16, um, left high school and, and went and played professionally for West Ham for, for two years in the youth team and the reserve team. So... Full disclaimer, I never made the first team. I want to make it clear to all your listeners. I never made the first team. For all the West Ham fans out there who be like, who the fuck is Andrew Wells? Right? <laughs> I didn't make the first team. <laughs> what year What year did you uh, go over there? Like full time, 16, what year was that? Uh, that would have been 96. So the 96, 97 season and a 97, 98 season were the two, two years that I, I played pro there. I think I played about um, 15 games in reserve. So, so there you'd have, back in that day, it was the first team, the reserve team, and then the youth team. Um, so, you know, obviously the second team's there. Um, it's a little bit different now because they've got the under-21, under-23s youth teams. Uh, you know, so it works a little bit differently. The hierarchy is a little bit different, but essentially the same kind of thing. Was Super Frank there? Did you get him to sign a jersey? What was that about? Uh, Frank was a teammate of mine, yes. <laughs> um, so Frank, Frank, Frank's an amazing guy. I mean, you know, we, we, we really had a good youth team at that point because Joe Cole, Michael Carrick, and Rio, Ferdinand um, were also in that youth team. So Frank's two years older than me. Rio's a year older than me. Michael Carrick's a year younger than me. And Joe Cole's a year younger than Michael. But all of those guys, because at that age, you know, obviously kind of youth team happens and people come up, people come and go. But yeah, it's it, it was really fascinating to see, obviously, being a Chelsea fan, Michael. Like, you know, you know, you're interested in Frank, but he was the hardest working kid 
at West Ham by a long shot. Um, you know, obviously his, his dad was actually the assistant coach at that time. Yeah. And his uncle, Harry Redknapp, was was the first team manager. So there was, you know, all the talk of nepotism of him and, you know, he was <laughs> only there and, you know, the, the fat Frank thing and, you know, all those things come up. But, you know, after training every day, he's out there. Frank's out there running, doing the extra sprints, doing the extra grafting and doing it. So, you know, he probably wasn't the most naturally talented of, of those four I just mentioned. He certainly wasn't the most naturally yeah. talented of them all but by far and away the hardest working guy you've ever met. He, um, That's pretty cool. he used to, uh, his dad used to call me aside sometimes and say, hey, you know, what's some practice after work, uh, after training, you know, I need Frank to go one-on-one with you. And, you know, he needs to, like, you know, so I'll be there defending Frank Lamp. And obviously at that point, I never knew who Frank was going to become or who it was going to yeah, be. No, right. of course. Um, no, no, yeah. But yeah. now looking back on it, it's a pretty kind of nice memory to say, yeah, well, you know, Frank's only as good as he is because he had to beat me in practice all those times. Yeah. So essentially, I made Frank Lampard who he is. I'll let's, I'll let's make that point right now. Exactly. <laughs> you legend. You absolute legend, Andrew. The, the legendary Andrew Wells <laughs> made Frank Lampard. That's right. That's, awesome. that's what I'm talking about, dude. Now, that, that's, that's, I mean, that, that is a cool memory to think about, though. It's going to be a pretty cool, pretty cool thing to be able to think back on, especially with those, those four guys uh, specifically. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you have any like, I don't know, standout memories of your time at West Ham that like you, you that, like maybe your, your favorite, I don't know, games or favorite moments, something like that. You have anything interesting like that? Yeah. Uh, so apart from having my son, the greatest moment day of my life, um, was a game I played for West Ham. Um, so as go back a little bit of a backstory here that when I was playing for West Ham reserves, it just so happened that they played their reserve games at South End United Stadium, right? Oh, okay. So just in this whole twist of ironic fate, right, the, the same stadium I grew up as a five, six, seven-year-olds wishing one day that I could play at that stadium, all of a sudden now I'm playing for, not for South End United there, I'm playing for West Ham United. <laughs> um, so the game actually happened was just before... It would have been the, in 98, probably April of 98, I think it was. Um, I don't know you guys, you guys aren't as old as me. I know you've kind of, you know, your soccer interest started around 2007, if I you know, get it right from the podcast and yeah. listening to you guys. Yep. Um, but there was an Arsenal player, you probably know, called Ian Wright. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he was on the fitness comeback um, before the 98 World Cup. And he was hadn't made the hadn't got back in the first team yet, but was playing in Arsenal reserves. So we are actually playing Arsenal reserves at Roots Hall, which is South and United's ground. I was starting as a left-sided centre back, and about five or six hours before the game, it was announced that Ian Wright would be playing as a centre forward. So here we are. I'm going what you know, right up against Ian Wright in his prime. He's trying to get back to the World Cup. I'm going to be there at the stadium I've always dreamed about playing at, which I played it there three or four times previous to that. So it wasn't quite the same idea as the first time I've ever done that. So, you know, usually at the reserve games, we would get, you know, maybe a thousand people, you know, show up and things like that. They actually delay the game by 25 minutes because 5,000 people showed up Packed. in that game. Um, you know, so, you know, as a you know 18 year old, and at that time, you know, West Ham had actually told me that they weren't renewing my contract. So it was kind mm. of like I was pretty much done. It was coming to my end of my time at West Ham. Um, but here was this one chance to play against this absolute legend. Yeah. He is an Arsenal yeah. legend. And once again, Arsenal, but he's an absolute legend, right? <laughs> um, so just to be on the same field as that guy and to play 90 minutes against him. Well, he, I think he played for like 78 minutes or something like that. But to play against him in that stadium, I, obviously my whole family came. I had 
friends from high school there and you know they rushed the field after the game and you know everyone's patting me on the back you know saying great game and things like that so it was that was probably the most special moment I've ever had you know on a football pitch and it was just kind of this whole culmination of, of several different factors that, that really made it you know really really special. That, that was actually one of my questions too is like you know if, in, when you're on the academy team for people for the listeners that don't understand what he's saying right now when you're on the academy team when when senior players are coming back in for fitness or whatever reason they will put them on the under 19s under 20s whatever it is at that time to get them to build fitness i was going to ask that's an awesome story because i was going to ask did you ever go up against anybody that's fucking awesome because yeah. i can't imagine at 19 18 years old I don't know. I don't know a different way to, to describe this, but like, if your favorite basketball player has to like get fitness, they go down to a high school game. Pretty <laughs> yeah. much, they're right. playing eighteen-year-old kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's probably like that is that is so awesome. And it, it took me when I first started, and I, I I don't remember who it was, but one of the Chelsea players had to go down. And when I found out about that they were you know regaining fitness, I was like, I couldn't imagine being sixteen years mm. old going up against you know someone that's awesome that's an awesome story but anyway yeah no that yeah. it was it was fantastic it was it was a, it was a brilliant learning experience too because you know I, I played against decent players and we trained with west ham first team a decent amount but you know someone like him you know and his his movement not to get too technical into it his movement was absolutely phenomenal and i'm the, i was never the quickest player i i read the game fairly well which is, was my strength so i'd always try and be you know a step ahead of whatever center forward i was playing with but because he was so intelligent with his movement, you know, he would check in short and then, you know, I would check in with him and then he would spin around the back of me, leaving a great big gaping hole behind me. And it, you know, he was like, it, it was Usain Bolt, you know, you know, running against an elephant at times. And I was just chugging along trying to catch him. So, um, you know, but, you know, just, but it was just a fantastic experience on that you know, side of things as well, that just seeing how really how good the top, top players are. You know, and, and that, that's really, you know, because at that point, obviously, you played with, you know, someone like Rio, who was still young, but he'd made it into the West Ham first team at that point. You know, and you looked at him and he, he was amazing, incredible, and obviously went on to have a phenomenal career. Um, but with because Ian Wright was so experienced at that point, you know, it was, just, it was just on a different level. But then you think about him, you know, absolute legend. Okay, great. But then you think about someone like Lionel Messi and, and how incredibly amazing and talented and just out of this world like him and Ronaldo actually are and you can we can debate all yeah. you want about which one of those two is is better but you know just to put those two so much higher than you know someone who was was really really good is, is quite an interesting yeah. thing to think yeah. about as well yeah no that's yeah that's for sure that, that's a incredible story yeah I mean I, I'll say I, I'm right there with you I don't think I could imagine like going up against especially at like that age going up against somebody that like is already, I mean, already like a legend. You're just like legend, and you're just meeting them face to face, being like, "All right, well, I'm gonna, I'm supposed to <laughs> sort, your best. sort of mark you or yeah. something." I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that's that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, how long have you been in? Um, how long have you been in the U.S. now? So after, uh, so I came over on, in August '98. Um, so after my contract finished at West Ham, I had a, there was some couple of offers: Leicester, West Brom, and Stoke. You know, all showed a little bit of interest in in me coming and going there, but. My mum is a was a principal, um, so she was kind of you know it, it was this really interesting dynamic between her and my dad at sixteen when I s- said I was leaving high school and going to 
you know, play soccer and, you know, the chance, you know, obviously the chances of me actually making it as a soccer player is, you know, pretty minimal. But my dad was like, oh my God, my son's going to be a professional soccer player, right? <laughs> and my mum's like, well, he's not. And then he's not going to have an education. So, you know, he's probably going to end up as, you know, you know, you know sleep in the streets or something. No offense to people who sleep in the streets, but, you know, that was kind of the, the idea about that. Um, so, you know, after, you know, it didn't work out, my mum was always like, harping on education you've got to get your education go get your education so you know just so happens that all of the guys that were released from the premier league teams at that point you know the the, the 18 year olds they had a a trial um up in blackpool england and some american scout uh, coaches from the the universities were there and i got an offer to come over here to play you know soccer at university um which was great you know free education you know, yep. uh, the chance to, to continue a soccer career in essence, um, you know, at some really good facilities. I mean, the facilities, you know, over here yeah. at universities, obviously, you guys know, are, are brilliant. So, you know, I, I took that offer up um, to come over here. So, yeah, in August of 98, I came over and, you know, began my American journey, so to speak. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, uh, so, I mean, yeah, so you've been over since 98. So you've seen, I mean, and, and you, you, hit, you hit on it early, earlier, just kind of come over here and being like, kind of like probably learning immediately that like, you know, relegation or promotion weren't really a thing over here. You know, and and we've we've talked about it on the podcast as well. Just talking about how like we we're definitely for we're definitely pro. I mean, promotion, relegation kind of thing. Just because oh, I think yeah. it just adds a whole another, just a whole another dynamic to it. And I just think it's I think it would be it would just change things tremendously. But I mean, as far as like soccer, I guess in the in the U.S. Uh, not not necessarily like you know on a international level, like but like the international team level. But I'm saying like as a whole in the U.S. Like, do you? Do you have any opinions on like w- anything that like you think U.S. soccer could do better from the ground up? I, th- I think the thing is with with U.S. soccer, you know, if, if you want to go into the relegation promotion situation, there's a chance for them to do that now, right? And it should be done now if they're going to do it. You know, yeah. the problem is with I American agree. sports, obviously. You know, you've got the NFL and, and you know Major League Baseball and um, you know and the NBA. Um, you know, all the teams are so big. Right, that you know you don't have anyone that can backfill that, and if a big team gets goes down, it you know it just it doesn't work. And I understand why American sports don't have promotion relegation in, in that regard. You know, but if you look at you know Major League uh, Soccer, it's a point now where you could do that because you've got the USL coming yeah. up underneath it, and you've got yep, some yeah. some really good teams there. And it's okay that if a USL team only has a stadium that holds you know six or seven thousand people. Because when you right. look at you know the, go back to the Premier League, you have Bournemouth, right, twelve thousand people in their stadium. Yeah. You know? yeah. So yeah. why can't why can't the US Soccer Federation think about that and go, okay, we've got a chance here to kind of revolutionize American sports a little bit and make this mm. you know something that we know works in Europe and, ha- and make it a little bit better here for for the paying customer and all those people. Because then you can get you know, the USL and you've got all these more teams. You know, right now, without, however many franchises there are in uh, major league soccer you've got such a massive country that people are missing out on this the greatest sport in the world because they just don't live anywhere yeah. near you know somewhere and you, and you can't have everyone live near somewhere but you know that's why it works so well in england because you have so many teams in such a small space but i think mm, if sure. i think they're missing an opportunity there by not thinking about doing it and maybe they have thought about doing it and it doesn't work logistically or whatever i'm you know very you know spouting things off here i don't have the, all the knowledge to, to say it would work or wouldn't <laughs> oh, work but yeah, yeah. you know it seems to me like there's there's an opportunity that maybe they've missed it. yeah no i mean i i think i think we agree with that because <clears throat> i think we even we we touched on that I mean, especially with like usl and stuff like 
even you know we have a we have a local team here, Richmond Kickers, where we're at, and they're USL. They're kind of USL League Two, I yeah. think. Tell you right, no, league, yeah, League One. League is one. it League One? Yeah, the league USL one. League One. And then there's USL Championship at yeah. the top. Yeah. So that's what it is. So it's like we. I feel like like we've kind of like we almost do have the infrastructure for it. It's just you know, and again, I know like it just it costs a lot of money for someone for a team to buy into like MLS and get in. So they're like, well, I don't want to you know, get relegated after I just spent a gazillion dollars putting my team together, which is like, yeah, I, I get that. Um, but I just, I, I don't know. I think, it, I think it does lack something, you know, that, that we see in Europe, like in England and, and stuff like that. Because again, like, you know, this is our first year really getting MLS and, and it's definitely come a long way, but um, you know, you still sometimes see that little bit of drop in quality. And, and I just, I tend to think that that's an area of improvement. We're, um, we're ready to go here, I think. I think the USL, the way they have it set up and the teams and how big uh, the the U.S. is, I think there's enough places. You're right. You can't fit everybody everywhere. But because in the MLS, in, you know, our closest team is, is D.C. United. Now, that is close, but D.C. to the rest of Virginia are two completely different things Like we don't have. I have no affiliation with D.C. at all. So it's. It's hard. I think the USL and the MLS is ready to go. The problem is we've got too many greedy people in the sport. Uh, you guys know that over in Europe. The, the issue here in America is it's gotten uh, greedy before it got big. You know what I mean? <laughs> you guys did it the other way around. You guys right. grew that thing, and then a bunch of greedy motherfuckers came in and took everything away from you. You know, that, that's... Uh, what, a, did a you, number, how was American greedy motherfuckers came in and took That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's true. How was the... Uh, this is completely side note. How was it as a West Ham fan watching this Super League uh, thing go down? I, I don't... I, it's, I'm, I'm a purist. I, you know, like, I, I just... You know, the, the game is the game. And, it, and, it, and I don't know you, you've got to have... You know, you, you can't sit still. I mean, there, there's the two schools of thoughts, right? You know, as a purist, you know, it's the Premier League and it's always, but you've always got to be looking to move forward because you, if you don't move forward, you stagnate and then you end up rolling backwards. But it, it just reeked of so much greed and it wasn't oh, for yeah. the fans. It wasn't for, it. And, and the fans ultimately the ones who, you know, support the games and support the teams. You know, without the fans, you don't have anything. So for that group of, you know, owners chairmen's you know whatever their titles were i mean it was just just greedy people being greedy and they can argue as much as they want about oh this would have moved the game forward and this would have done this is it wouldn't have done because you would have lost all the grassroots soccer stuff which is where you know the game comes from you know you look at a lot of these players in the premier league and a lot of these players around europe have come from the grassroots stuff and not everyone has a you know story where you know they they went and joined you know man united at 10 years old and now they're a massive superstar right some of these guys have grafted down in the lower leagues you know you could J- jamie vardy's probably like the prime example over the past few years of that you know and without you know fleetwood town or wherever he came from um you know you don't have jamie vardy and, and that's the stories that the fans love and that's the stories that the fans want that that idea of like there's always that dream, right? You know, these there's dreams of these guys playing in the lower leagues and just if you don't have that, you don't have anything, I don't think. So it's just greed and just money, which Yeah, yeah, spot on. Yeah. Yeah, no, I to- I totally agree. Yeah. I I'd say that I mean I'd say I'm definitely a purist in that as well. I definitely was not I I had some thoughts on that whenever it was super league. I was like, man, I was like, I just don't just don't ruin everything in the world by doing this. 
because it's just it did me i, I just see that i like i just feel like i see the greed and i was like man come on like just leave it alone like you're messing with a good thing I mean, so but yeah, yeah I feel we, we were going to be one of the odd men's out anyway so absolutely i disagree yeah, right maybe, maybe if i was a, yeah. one of you guys you know looking looking at the top top six <laughs> so i would have been like oh yeah let's go for it let's make all the money it would be brilliant <laughs> i mean i i mean even as a liverpool guy like i i was actually a little off put that liverpool was like in it but then I mean, the one thing that I will say that 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 kind of made me feel a little better was that at least at least Liverpool ownership, uh, the Fenway Sports FSG, they came out and actually apologized. Right. They actually did an apology of like, hey, like we started messing with a good thing. We started messing with your thing. It's like what they said, like to English friends, like we started messing with your team, your thing. And we thought this was going to be a, a good idea. Like we from a business standpoint, we thought it was a good idea. You don't want it. So we're not going to do it. And they apologize. Like that was a huge thing for me. Which I was like, and I know not every team did that, but I was like, man, that, that was really cool to see. So I was, I was happy to at least see. Yeah, that. I think that that was part of the problem was that the the um, you know the ownership groups were a lot of them weren't English groups. I mean, these these are these are outsiders, right? right? You're coming into our game that we've created, yep. you know. And yes, your money's great, and it and it has made the spectacle great, and it has given us all of these things. But then you can't go and change everything. Because that's not, that's not right. what it's about. That's not what it, where it came from. So that there was that aspect of it as well that these foreign foreign owners were were causing more problems than than we wanted it to. Yeah, I hated it. I hated it when it came up. But then you know, after about a day, I was like, oh, they're letting Tottenham in. They're letting anybody in. So I don't know about that at all. <laughs> you know? they, they, they just wanted Tottenham in so they could absolutely fail. So they just it. have one thing. That's, 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 that's it. That's they, it. They could almost be good, but you know, or they would invite Tottenham, and then Tottenham would sign up for it, and then they'd be like, actually, no, you're, you're not going to make it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's trade them out for somebody else. Uh, actually, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Hey, so so back to West Ham real quick. First day coming into uh, into that was it? You know, they were obviously at the boiling at that time. How like, big eyed at that time? Like how was it crazy to go there? Was it uh, you know family excited and all that? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean the the, the bowling ground at Upton Park was a was a was a almost like a magical place. You know, it was like you know this not, not a massive stadium. I think maybe you know twenty seven, twenty eight thousand that, that held, and yeah, there was the. Well, they called the, the lower tier of you know the I think it was the West Stand you know called the Chicken Run you know and there was just it was just where the the hardcore West Ham fans were close to the the, the field and you know it just it was it was mental um, you know just to see these guys there but it's you know I, I signed on the pitch you know I think when I was I think it signed when I was fifteen I, I signed actual a contract on the pitch and got to kind of do the tour around the ground and you know sitting sitting with the first team in a team talk with. With Harry Redknapp and and everything, and it was kind of like a you know fantastic sp- experience. But you know, it's I think a world of difference now. Even the training ground facilities that we had then were you know a couple of fields and a basically a shed type you know indoor facility. You know, and it's it was you know we, we didn't even have enough training kit to go around. Sometimes it's a, a quick funny story. You might not know the guy John Moncur. He played for West Ham. He played for Swindon. I don't remember. Eric Cantona stamped on him one time. He was kind of famous for that. He, he did a lot of other good things in the game, but he was famous for that. But West Ham were really kind of didn't have the, the TV money at that point. So kit, like, you know, your training kit, you'd have to fight for. You know, you want to jump on. You'd have to get there first. And us being the youth team, we got nothing. So we were out there in the freezing cold <laughs> December weather, you know, sleet and snow and a T-shirt and shorts because West Ham didn't have enough training kit to give us. So um, John Monker, everyone called him Monks, came in one day and he was late for training. By the time he got there, he had no kit to wear. 
you know, so he basically come outside, just completely stark naked, starts running around. <laughs> Harry, Harry Redknapp is absolutely doing his pieces because he's like, you know, you can't be running around the training ground naked. He's running around freezing cold weather. So a little, there's a little kind of idea about how the world, like that, the money, in, 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 you know, yeah. coming into the game has changed things now you know everyone gets you know a different shirt you know every 15 minutes yeah, exactly. of the game if they want and you know the training yeah, exactly. kit coming out of everywhere and you know as you, like i said earlier my brother works for norwich city and some of the, the things that you know they get given is just absolutely insane compared to having mm. to try and run around with no kit on in the winter <laughs> it's crazy it wasn't even that long ago you know what i mean like no, it, it no, feels like that, it was but it was the just... really kind of interesting thing about it to, to see from an outside position now you know how much it has changed and and what so i, I was at um tottenham's training grounds their new training ground uh four or five years ago and that place is just unbelievable i mean the facilities there and the changing rooms and the um you know the pitches and the things like that it's, it's absolutely crazy compared to what we had when back in the day yeah for sure yeah that's been man that's it's wild that's wild um well yeah man i mean uh so i guess speaking i'll say in west ham one last question for you from me but uh obviously we mean you talk pretty much every week about west ham and stuff like that what kind of what's going on with them and you hear you hear michael over here tear him apart every week <laughs> on the podcast but uh as a, as a west ham guy i mean do you have any i mean i mean do you have any thoughts on West Ham on like what's what's next for them? What was any, anything that you feel that they should do? Uh, I, I think it's it's been a, obviously a tough season for them. Um, you know, people have asked me, you know, why, why has it been a tough season? You know, I keep going back to you're only good until you're not. And then, and some of these players, I mean, you look at someone like Mikel Antonio, who you know last year was absolutely on fire and and, and you know was was running a line and, and scoring goals and doing all the things that you need out of a center forward and all of a sudden he he hasn't you know and that's that can change the whole dynamic of a team if if you can't score a goal and you know Samak has come in and you know he was average at best you know you know and and is kind of disappointed and Danny Ings has come in and scored the two against Forest but you know really hasn't produced much after that so without scoring goals, I mean, you guys know this, you, you watch enough soccer to know that, you know, you're then reliant on your defence, right? And all of a sudden, you know, they haven't quite got that right. They've had some injuries there and, it, you know, the midfield isn't quite right. The balance Suchek is not as good as he was, you know, two or three years ago. So, and, and if they've bought, I mean, you know, uh, Paqueta I like, and I think he's going to be a top player if they can keep hold of him. But I think that Moyes goes at the end of the season, regardless of what happens. I think that he's kind of reached where he's the potential to take the team. Personally, I would love Michael Carrick to come in and be the coach, <laughs> you know, for a number of different reasons, because Michael's just a great guy and, you know, I love him to death. Yeah. And um, But he's doing a fantastic job at Middlesbrough as well. I mean, he's taken yeah. them, I think yeah, they were absolutely. 17th in the um, championship when he took over and now they're um, you know, third, maybe third or fourth, and, and with a good, obviously, a good chance of making the playoffs. So, you know, I think that would be a, you know, from a nostalgic standpoint for me, Michael Carrick is, is the next West Ham coach. If you want to put some money on that, it's going to happen. West West Ham, are they getting sold this summer? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, that was that was my thing. Is I, I felt that uh, you know they obviously don't want to fire David Moyes because he was you know what he did last year. It's wild to see what's happened from last year this this amazing European run to this year you know, fighting off relegation. And I feel, I really like David Moyes, man. I really do. I don't know why, but I, I'm a, I, I like David Moyes a lot. And I feel like he's uh man, this, this year has been, been a bit rough on, on West Ham, but you're right. You can't defend and you're not putting any, uh, you're not putting the ball in the back of the net, which is, uh, 
It's wild. Suchek a couple years ago was the was the you know the pasta king. You know what I mean? He was, do you remember that whole thing when he was like uh, after the game he's going home eating yeah, some, right. some pasta salad. <laughs> Everyone got electric. <laughs> yeah, man. I I I I love this guy, man. He, he scored sort of like yeah, yeah, eleven headers that season or something like that. Yeah, 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 he, has, yeah he hasn't scored yeah. since that season. It is. It is, man. It is. It's. So I think, I mean, West Ham probably going to get sold this summer, and then David Moyes probably gone. Love to see Michael Carrick. That would be awesome. That Watch Michael awesome. Carrick bring the boys yeah, out next year. Uh, but I also think, I also think, you know, obviously, I, I think everyone knows Declan Rice is going as well. You know, he'll get yeah. sold yeah. for for you know whatever exorbitant amount of money that you know English players are going yeah. for these days. And it's it's about how yeah. West Ham invests that money. You know, obviously, new ownership, and if they are, if there is going to be new ownership, it has to be done quickly, right? You you can't have new ownership coming in midway through the summer. What's happening with the transfer window? You know, things like that. It needs to be done quick. The business needs to be done quickly so the new owners can come in, give everyone the money that they're going to get. Declan Rice can be sold. Get the money for him and just invest it. Invest it wisely, and you know, get sent forward. Really, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think you're in a bad spot either. Truly, if you guys stay up this summer, this this year is weird. This one's a one off, in my opinion. If you come out next year and you're flat, then it might big, 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 big cause for concern. But I think Deck is going to go. I think he's off. I don't know where. I'd love, obviously, I'd love him to come to Chelsea. Have no clue. I got a feeling he's off to either Arsenal or United, which I can't tell you how that much that would break my heart. But I'll tell you. Quick, quick, funny story, real quick. My, uh, like, I don't know if the original episode. My grandmother is a traveling, was a traveling nurse. She's retired, and I lived with her for ten years, right? And when I was getting into the game, uh, I said, "Grandma, where do, you, where do you love to go?" And she goes, "Well, I go to London all the time." And I was like, "All right, so where in London?" And she goes, "Well, I stay in East London, and I hate it." And she started pulling up this area that she lived, and it was a mile away from the boiling ground, right? So, like. I, I, I'm, I'm asking all these questions and she couldn't tell me. She was just hated it so much over there. She loved West London, but I thought it was, uh, that's, that's kind of when I think of West Ham, I always think of my grandmother hating that area. I got, do got a couple questions though. So when you guys left the boiling ground and went over to the Olympic stadium, how awful was that? And then do you, do you think it was necessary? I was in Denver at a random bar and this guy from England, West Ham fan, we were watching, we were watching Villa and Manchester city in the like uh, league cup game. Uh, the electric the Carabao Carabao Cup. Cup. I know how much you love the Carabao Cup, Michael. Love it, love it, love it. I love it. That's competition out there, isn't it? That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So we're sitting there watching this, and I asked him this question. I was like, "What? You know, you, you know, this is like right, you know, right after a year after you guys had left." And he was like, "No, nah. he goes, I hate it, but it was needed." Do you feel the same way, or was it? Was yeah, you rather I, I, I think um, from from the kind of speak that's going on right now is that that actually people are really happy with the, with the move. I mean, it, you know, ultimately when you, you leave somewhere with that much history, like the bowling ground had, I mean, there was, there was just a ton of history there. When you think about, you know, the guys playing there who all won the World Cup, you know, your Bobby Moore, your Mine Peters, and your Jeff Hurst and you know, all of that and just years and years and years of it. So it's always hard to, to you know, ch- no, no one really likes change because it's something different, isn't it? Uh, and and immediately I think it was, it was, it was tough because – it's a big ground and the you know, fans are so far back from the stadium. And like I said, you know, go back to the chicken run story mm. I told you. It's like, you know, those all those fans who are, you know, maybe a foot from the action and could hurl abuse at the opposition from, you know, two yards away and now sixty yards away. It doesn't have quite have the same effect to call someone a complete wanker from, you know, sixty yards as it does from two feet. So you know, I think that that whole dynamic ha- has was difficult for everyone. Yeah, abuse at the state. You can't you can't yell abuse like you could back at the uh, at the boiling ground. The um, that change I felt probably was necessary. No one does like change though. Um, 
two want two more from me. Number one on this on this West Ham thing. Can West Ham they have a massive fan base? I don't think people, and that's no banter at all. I don't think people in the states really understand how big West Ham is and how important West Ham. They're filling out sixty thousand stadium. You know, that's 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 insane to think about. Like here in the states, like that's not that's not normal at all. West Ham absolutely massive. Uh, my final question though: What's up with beans on toast, man? Why is <laughs> why is that a thing over in England? I've never like in my in my whole life I could never. You you could you could have never told me that, and I you could have just sit me on my way, and I never would have thought to put those two together at all. A full English. We have a we have a pub down here in Richmond called Penny Lane, and uh, they have a full English breakfast. And I I ordered it not because it doesn't tell you what it is. Correct. Right? Correct. It, it just says full English, and I was like. This was like my first time going. This is like he's like I want the experience. I was like, yeah, f- you know, feed me that. So they bring this thing over. It's this massive plate. You know, our British fans will understand this, but it's this massive plate, right? And they gave me like what looked like two hot dogs, but it was not two hot dogs <laughs> at all. And then this massive thing of toast with beans all over it, and I was like, and eggs and all this other stuff, and I was like, what in the hell am I eating now? Tried it. I thought it was awful. What's up with beans on toast? <laughs> over there? Wait, it was there. Andrew, it was awful, man. What is up with the beans on toast? Beans on man? toast is a delicacy. <laughs> Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about beans on toast. But it doesn't matter what beans you have. It has to be Heinz beans. Yes. It has to be it has to be white toast and it has to it has to have butter on the toast before you put the beans on there. This is essential. essential. That that is what and to tie this whole all into you know a whole soccer thing as well. Um, when I was at West Ham and, you know, the schoolboy stuff, when my dad had to drive me to um, practice, you know, every Tuesday and Thursday, it would be like a, you know, 40-minute ride, but I'd have to get myself dinner beforehand, so I had something to eat. Dinner of choice, beans on toast. Oh, wow. Jesus. Oh, every, every Tuesday, Thursday for, for four years, <laughs> beans on toast. <laughs> is that something you eat now to this day when you're still in the States? Is that yes. something you give into your son? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've never understood the beans on toast either, and I've never tried it. So well, I... if, you, if you sprinkle a little bit of cheese on there too, then then try that as well. A little bit of melted cheese on top of your beans on toast. Oh, it's fantastic. It's that fantastic. is such a crazy combination. But I mean, you know, I'll hey. tell you, the uh, you know, Grandma came home from um, uh, England one time and she made a sausage roll. First time I ever had one. I mean, I don't think it was as good as what's going on over there in England, but I was t- Andrew. Tearing these things up, man. This whole thing. Yeah. She made a bunch, man. I was killing. I mean, it's pretty much pigs in a blanket over here in the states. But I mean, this thing was electric. Man. <laughs> get the saltless. Oh, you get the good, the good sausage meat that's got the seasoning inside of it. Oh, absolutely oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Greg's. When you go over to England and get some Greg sausage rolls, that's that's, that's where. <laughs> good to know. You good? good to know. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 all I've got, man. Andrew, you're our you're our guest, man. I mean, uh, do you have anything? else you wanted to share or, or anything else no i, I just i'm going to tell you guys i, I think it's brilliant I, I thought about this you know when you said you come on the podcast and you know kind of going through some of the questions you might ask me and, and, and things like that and some stories that i've got for you guys um yeah you know, I, I told you you know, anthony hudson the U, u.s men's national team coach is actually an old teammate of mine as well um he played he was at west ham when we signed so um you know he's he's a great almost got me arrested one time but maybe that's a story, <laughs> maybe that's a story for another day next um, time Next time, <laughs> there will be a next time. There will. <laughs> but I, I, I think it's brilliant what you guys are doing. I really do. I, I thought to myself, you know, when I first came over to the States and you talk about, 
you know, what, what the difference is and what happened from 1998 to 2023. And there wouldn't have been guys like you in, two, in, in 1998. Yeah, like, sure. really, yeah. don't take offense to this, but soccer nerds, right? Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, and yeah, I yeah, absolutely yeah. love the fact that you guys are doing this and you're doing it with such passion and, you know, and, and knowledge too. I mean, you can come, you know, come on and, and listen to some guys and you know, really know anything and they're just throwing out a podcast. <laughs> it's not great, but yeah, you guys are really, really doing a great job. So I really, uh, yeah, really big honor for you guys to, to, you know, have me on here and I really appreciate it. No, man, I appreciate you coming on outside of us, like in shit teams. Right. I mean, I appreciate you <laughs> right. <a> lot, <laughs> hey, it takes all sorts. People, you, you've got to support someone, right? You've that's, right. Someone, so. <laughs> that's, that's true. He just, you know, he just shows the wrong three teams. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, that's what it was. Poor life choices, fellas. Poor that's life choices. <laughs> oh, shoot. That's uh, funny. Well, if it says anything about Michael, he whenever he got Alex into it, he said, don't support Chelsea. So I was like, I told him, don't do it. Yeah. I told him, and, but unfortunately, he went the other way and you yeah, know, picked the most pick. other bandwagon teams. Oh, yeah. Which you also told me to pick. That's very <laughs> <true>. <laughs> so, that's all I had no idea what I was doing. Oh, shoot, man. Well, dude, Andrew, it's been, it's been freaking awesome having you're the you on, fucking man. man dude thanks for coming on yeah seriously. dude for real yeah. gotta do it again appreciate you yeah dude honestly we literally would love to have you on again uh we'll we'll, we'll make that happen obviously I'm, I'm in contact with you every week and everything but um dude, it's been yeah a lot try of not fun. to email me as much as you do it's kind of annoying uh, yeah right yeah i'll try to uh i'll try to try to dial it back i can't promise anything but i'll try to dial it back uh but man seriously dude appreciate you coming on man you, you're you're the man we really appreciate you and we're definitely planning on having you on again uh down the road so we'll uh We'll stay in touch. Um, but before we head out, Michael, anything else? No, I'm good, dude. I'm good. Thanks for coming on, man. Seriously, this is awesome. Absolutely. No, thank again. you, guys. I really appreciate it. It's been this a lot of fun. Yeah, give a, ever want to do this again, give me yeah, a shout. I will. Absolutely, Absolutely, man. man. We will definitely do it. Alex, anything else? No, again, just appreciate you coming on and talking to us. This is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Great. All right. Well, that is it. Thanks for tuning in for the first episode ever of Beyond the Pitch. And we had Andrew Wells. He's the man. We will see you guys next week. That's right.